We're talking pro days on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by Matthew Friedman of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. We talked last week about big free agency moves. The or excuse me, we talked earlier in the week about free agency. The other thing that people are going to be paying a lot of attention to now, Matt, is this expansive list of NFL pro days that we're seeing. Uh different year than most might be the only time we ever see something like this. Let's before we jump into specifics, just talk about what people should do with the pro day results this year. We know historically that you have to make some adjustments to 40 yard dash times to other measures. Things tend to be quicker at pro days. What's your perspective on how we should evaluate the players this year, given the fact that, their measurables probably aren't 100% accurate or 100% consistent, perhaps, across what they would have been if all players had ran at the combine. Yeah, Um, I think it's pretty similar to what you would do for any player who, uh, in a normal year, didn't work out at the combine and instead worked out at his pro day. Uh, The only difference is that you have that situation now for everybody, which uh, in, in some ways I think makes it, weirdly a little more consistent like in in most years it's like okay well um like this guy didn't run at the combine so i need to mentally calibrate uh what this 40 time means but now no one ran at the combine so everyone's 40 times are still kind of roughly on the same the same plane uh and so i don't i don't know like historically if you're making uh comp groups you need to make some sort of adjustment um but of course at the same time like normally if you're making comps, your, uh, your window is wide enough to where you, you don't really need to make all that many adjustments. But this year, peer-to-peer, you really don't even need to make adjustments because they're all coming from pro days. So it, it almost doesn't even matter. That's 100% where I am. So I, I had thought about going through the process. So I, I actually just updated the Combine Explorer and I put a new version of it out. It's now a shiny app. Um, it has a couple of cool new features, but it, it's more or less, you know, the the same type of, of tool. Um, and I did go through the thought process, talk with some other people quickly, and we just decided that we would just let these numbers ride. Because if we're starting to make adjustments, we're just getting further away from what might be the truth for the entire class. And it, it, we might have the yeah. best luck at actually getting consistency by just going with all of the numbers that we get from the pro days. Cause as you alluded to, right, what we're really doing with these numbers to, to the largest extent is going to be comparing players within the class. Yes. We're going to be using them to build comps, but if we keep all of these players with the same numbers going in, then the list of comps that we're generating are going to be off of that same data. What we do when we head into 2021, um, if we adjust those numbers in the database, that will be a separate question. Um, the, the one thing I would say, you know, is you don't want those numbers in there throwing things off in the database, but I'm not sure if one year of those numbers, um, in that data set of, you know, 20 years, it's going to change things that much. So that's something I'm, I will look at, but I do think in the confines of this year, 
when we're talking about numbers, when we're putting them up on the site, we are not going to go with the adjustment. Um, I know that some people would potentially take issue with that um, because of placing things in the historical context, but it's a super weird year. You have to pick an approach, I think, and go with it. That is what we're going to do. So uh, I want to start off, Matt, quickly looking at some of the players that have participated in their pro days. Um, I wish that we could talk about all of these at once, but that's just not a reality. So we'll probably space these out, hit some players this show. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver out of Minnesota, ran his 40-yard dash in 4.39. An interesting thing on Bateman, Sports Info Solutions has him as the number one ride receiver in targets above expectation per, per route was the X in Minnesota's RPO offense. Looks like he's best suited outside um, in the NFL. Might play the Z. That is kind of the quick skinny there on Bateman. Pretty good number at 439. That comes in at a percentile 40-yard dash of 88th percentile. Um, a freak score of 69 which at uh, you know 210 pounds is 91st percentile, also 73 inches. Only one measurable to go on, but that's not bad. That is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, with his, um, his combination of size and speed, um, super, super impressive. And then it obviously goes along with the production that he had at Minnesota, which uh, is, you know, it puts him near the top of the class in terms of like his overall production profile. So, at this point, um, I think he's firmly locked into round one or round two, and right now I lean more towards round one, especially just based on what I'm seeing in mock drafts. Yeah, I think he's going to make his way in there as well. Oh, wow. What was that noise? Uh, I think it was a uh, like a bike or a car okay. going by. Uh, last week, I never actually went back to see if, if the like steam engine T noise that I was hearing was actually on my end or yours. <laughs> So we're getting a lot of a lot of uh, sound effects thrown in. But yeah, Bateman, I, I think there's a decent chance he goes in the first round, which I, I think if he goes in the first is probably going to be towards the end of it. So maybe we see him land on one of these more exciting teams. Another wide receiver that we could find himself into that day, late day one, day two window, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. It's funny, he actually was number two in SIS's targets above expectation. A couple of scouting notes on him that you'll see as you look around. Trouble with separation and yards after the catch. Does have good jump ball ability uh, on the outside. Can also win over the middle. Looks like a number two. Uh, One thing that does it is interesting when you read about him having trouble with separation is the fact that he did run his 40 at a time of 4.39. So, you know, also another 88th percentile range. And if you adjust for his size of 193 pounds at 71 inches, 64th percentile freak score of 54. Um, I don't remember exactly how much you liked Wallace prior, Matt, when we talked about him, but I don't know if this combine kind of moves the needle for you. Uh, yeah, it's it's impressive. I wasn't expecting him to to be this athletic. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly there. And now that he has the, the 4.39 second 40 time, even if you adjust it a little bit, um, he's plenty fast enough for his size at 193 pounds. So now it comes to the matter of like looking at his production and what he did in college. And like, that was, uh, you know, that was up there as a sophomore, 
um, you know, in 13 games, had almost 1,500 yards, uh, 13 touchdowns from scrimmage at Oklahoma State, uh, and then continued to produce after that 2019 in nine games, 900 yards, eight touchdowns. Last year, coming back from injury in 10 games, still had 922 yards. Like the guy can produce. So, given the athleticism that he exhibited in his uh, pre draft workout, yeah, he's someone I'm, I'm going to be excited about. Um, it's good because I was, he was someone I liked, but was worried wouldn't have the athleticism. Uh, now I think he has the athleticism. So, like, he's officially going on my I want to draft him list. Yeah. Well, also, you know, broke out at 19.6 in that sophomore season, that 12 touchdown sophomore season. I, I forget if you mentioned it, but 1,458 yards in 13 games. That really is solid production. So I think that he's justified reasons to be excited about him. You know, the other thing that I should point out is, though a couple of episodes ago we talked about how for wide receivers, draft, posi- draft position um, being young, having a solid breakout age, breaking out, all of that. Those in college production are generally more important than combine or pro day or athletic measurables. The reason that we can still get excited about these are it can point to the fact that maybe there is something supporting the feelings that people have about these players, but also we know that NFL organizations are influenced by these measurables so we can get excited about them because it does increase the players chances of getting drafted earlier um yeah and and, and, yeah to your point like now i feel pretty good about uh the third round being his floor in terms of when he gets drafted like i don't think he falls below that maybe he even moves into like the bottom of the second round yeah yeah absolutely so um let me pull up here quickly a, a player that many people have probably not heard talked about that much, but that is Jonathan Adam Jr. Jonathan Adams Jr., wide receiver out of Arkansas State, seventy-five inches, two hundred eighteen pounds, one of the bigger players in the draft. Matt, a forty-yard uh, dash of four-four-eight, vertical jump of forty-one point five, broad of one twenty-six, three cone of six point nine, twenty-yard shuttle of four point one three. Those are all pretty um, impressive numbers. Uh, let me pull up the in the Combine Explorer here. Oh, that's why I couldn't find them. I was looking at the box score scout, not the Combine Explorer. Um, bear with me one second. Okay. So, a 40-yard dash, uh, 448-63rd percentile, but that's still a freak score of 69, which is in the 91st percentile. Um, his broad jump, 77th, vertical jump, 96th. His cone comes in at a 62nd percentile. Um, interesting comps, Matt. He gets into his list the good Michael Thomas, Alshon Jeffrey, Kenny Galladay, Javon Walker, and Cortland Sutton when you're looking at just his athletic comps. Um, so this is a player a lot of people might not have heard about but actually did uh, have a pretty good showing in the combine late breakout 21.9 didn't really do much until his senior season at Arkansas State did put up 12 receiving touchdowns that year I think it's interesting in that he is a player that definitely has some athleticism to him some more size than we might see from other players uh but the college profile doesn't really or the college production doesn't do much to boost his profile 
Yeah, there are each year um, maybe like two or three guys who get drafted in like rounds four to like four to four to six um, that I like get a little marginally excited about. Uh, like Gabriel Davis was one of those guys last year. I think Jonathan Adams will be one of those guys this year. Um, and initially, when I was just going through my list, creating uh, like way too early rookie rankings, I left Jonathan Adams off my list because I just I know that um, I tend to be too into smaller school guys early in the process, and so like I'm just trying to like kind of fight against that. So, for instance the guy who was the number one receiver at Arkansas state in 2019, uh, Omar Bayless, um, last year, early on, he was someone I was interested in because he had good enough size, like six, one, 212 pounds was, uh, outrageously productive. Um, in kind of the same way that, uh, Jonathan Adams was this past year, Omar Bayless in his senior season had, almost 1,700 yards receiving and 17 touchdowns in 13 games. So outrageously productive, uh, but, you know, like Jonathan Adams broke out later in college, but still with that production and with the size, you know, I think, okay, he's someone I'm a little bit interested in. And then at the combine, he runs a 4.62 and doesn't get drafted. So I just entered this process thinking Jonathan Adams is probably another version of Omar Bayless and unless he does something impressive in his pro day, I'm probably not going to look at him. But with what he did, the athletic freak that he is, uh, I mean, it wasn't just the 40 time, uh, which the 40 time at his size was fantastic. It was the explosiveness that he showed in his jumps. And then also the agility to run a 6.9 second three cone is really impressive for a guy who's almost 220 pounds and who is 6'3". So with the athleticism that he has, the production that he had in college, even though he didn't break out at an early age, um, even though he's not someone entering college early, he's someone I'm going to be interested in thinking that now he has a pretty reasonable chance of being drafted round four at the earliest, probably more like round five or six. Most of the time, those guys don't do anything. But um, the guys who might do something, I tend to think that they look a little bit like Jonathan Adams. So he's someone I'm going to have probably like speculative exposure to late in rookie drafts or someone who will probably fall out of rookie drafts and then I add off of waivers. Yeah, so I've probably mentioned it before on here a number of times. It has like... I just don't care at all about fourth and fifth round picks and rookie drafts. He's one of the few guys I actually will be excited about getting then and about getting him then. And I think there's a decent chance that people you're drafting with could overlook somebody like him. But I do have a question for you, Matt, and that is you mentioned that you have trouble not getting overly excited about these smaller school players. Is that just because normally if they're good, their production can just be outlandish? Is that why? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And, you know, I I think also part of it is that um, I tend to think that there is value there for the guys who end up being highly drafted. So, for instance, like, and part of it is that's just how I kind of got my start, like at Rotoviz. Like, my first piece, actually, by the way, okay, my first piece as we're recording this, it's March 14th, was exactly eight years ago to the day. It was was T.Y. Hilton, you know, and then like one of my other big pieces was John Brown when he was going through the draft. Did like, he just I get just, released too? That must've pained you. Yeah, that's fine. He's older now. Okay. We'll, we'll find a team. All but right. it, you know, it's just like these guys, 
are good and if the NFL recognizes them as being good. So, you know, like T.Y. Hilton was drafted in the third round. John Brown was drafted in the third round. At the time, maybe it's not the case now because people have just gotten a little more informed. But at the time, you know, those guys coming out of Florida International and coming out of Pittsburgh State, they were still being ignored in a ton of rookie drafts. And so even though they had NFL draft equity invested in them, um, there wasn't the situation where they were really valued in rookie leagues. Uh, And so they provided a lot of value. And I just, I tend to look at these guys and think like, okay, no one is going to want the receiver from Arkansas state. So like if this guy actually like hits the thresholds and is as good as like a wide receiver who was coming out of Arkansas, for instance, like an sec school, um, he will provide like he will be a natural arbitrage play pretty much just by virtue of where he went to school. So I, I have this natural inclination to look at these guys, but I, I know that, you know, like it's a sort of like numerator and denominator type of situation. I just know there aren't going to be all that many of these guys each year who pan out. And like, it's probably not worth my time to be super interested in them before their pro days. Yeah. You know, and just to add to that too, you do also have the occasional player that ends up at a small school because they got, they got in some trouble in high school Yes, um, or there were some factors like that and did have the talent, uh, just circumstances kept them out. Tyree kill for instance. Yep. You know, like, yeah. So there are lots of reasons why guys could be at smaller schools. Yep. All right. So we will step away for a brief second, but we will be right back. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021. And you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. All right. The player that I've been really looking forward to talking to you about is Travis Etienne. But before we do that, let's talk about another running back that has been interesting for some people. Puka Williams Jr., running back out of Kansas He's a smaller player, 68 and a half inches, 175 pounds. However, though, does look like he could potentially fill a role for some teams. Um, pretty fast, 438 in the 40 yard dash, 96 percentile. That is not surprising given the fact that he is only 175 pounds. That gives him a speed score of 95. Unfortunately, Matt, I'm not sure that we need to go much further than that. A running back with a speed score of 95 at just 175 pounds, probably at best a gadget player. Any thoughts on Puka before we hit ETN? Yeah, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of like Dree Archer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember him from what? Yeah, from I do. From yeah. Kent State. Yep. Yeah, from Kent State back in the day. You know, smaller guy, around 170, 175 pounds. Ran in the four threes, maybe even four twos. Um, well, I'll tell you right you know, now. Let's look it up right here. Dre Archer, Kent State. If I remember, he was he was faster. Yeah, four one six, so a hundred percentile. Yeah, so uh, I mean, just blazing fast. 
Puka Williams isn't even at that level uh, in terms of athleticism. And Dre Archer didn't make it in the NFL. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if Puka is going to. Right. So, you know, not, nothing against Puka, but like, what is a best case scenario for him? Uh, I, I think turning into Darren Sproles is maybe yeah. like a best case scenario for him. And like, even that isn't that sexy. I, I actually if, think if you're thinking, you know, yep. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. I was going to say, I think his best case is Tariq Cohen player. That was similar size. Yeah. Cohen was 179. So like, if you pull up the physical comps, um, his best matches are Jamal Charles, which the only reason Charles gets in there is because there's just no players that are 175, right? Uh, then you have Tariq Cohen, Philip Lindsay, Naheem Hines, Dexter McCluster, Denard Robinson. Everybody else did, did trash um, in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so just, I don't think it's, uh, it's a great situation for him. So, I mean, it's nice that he ran a 4.38 at his uh, combine or is his pro day, but still it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, and I hope that I am wrong about that because I will say, like, when you just watch some of his highlights, really fun player to watch. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. The other thing is I uh, have to assume that his draft stock is not is not going to be too great uh, given the size. Yeah, I don't think we'll – by the way, four reps at 225 pounds, like, that is embarrassing. Like, you, you aspire to be a professional athlete, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I mean, like – I mean, probably not now, but I don't know. Like, give me two months to train. I can do more than four reps at 225 pounds. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's just embarrassing. Like, no one is going to look at that and think like, oh, this guy can stand up and pass protection. You know, yes. like, that's just a, such a bad number. And again, like, think, think of someone like Darren Sproles, who was diminutive, but, I mean, bigger still than 175 pounds. Like, Darren Sproles had, like, t- over 20 reps. At 225 pounds, even though he was a small guy. Like, he had this a 69 percentile bench. He did 23. Uh, no, 23. Like, that's amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, he's benching 225 pounds as he's weighing like 185 pounds or something like yeah. that. Uh, this is embarrassing for Puka. All right. So what you're saying is that you want me to challenge you now to some type of contest where I give you two months to train and you got to toss up four. <laughs> you got to toss up 20, 225 four times. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident I could do that. Let's wait till I can, uh, you know, with COVID subsiding, I can I can go to a gym and start working out. All right. I, I'm going to check back with you on that. This would be a fascinating sure. thing to put you through and also help you in your quest to be more healthy. Uh, let's wow. move along. Travis ETN. The first thing we got to talk about, Matt, is him hitting 215. Obviously tried to put on some size before the weigh-in, but that 215, big number for him to hit. And then he did run the 40 at a time of 442. Even if you adjust, I think that's good enough. That comes out to a speed score of 113, 90th percentile. So again, even if we knock down that 40 sometime, still a decent speed score. Uh, his broad jump of 128, 93rd percentile, uh, did participate in the vert, only did uh, 33 and a half inches, which is 37th percentile. But nothing too troubling here. Um has some interesting athletic comps in there. You see DeMarco, Mario Richard, Mendenhall, Marshawn Lynch, Marlon Mack, Cadillac, Williams, Felix Jones, Cam Akers, Monty Ball. Um, some interesting players in there. Closest comp, Felix Jones, Ty Johnson, Wendell Smallwood, Paul Perkins. So after you saw this combine, Matt, uh, what does this do for you as far as ETN is concerned? 
I think the biggest question I had about him was his size um, because, you know, reports are that he was playing more around the 200, 205 range and he was listed at 205. And so for him to check in at 215, uh, that's pretty big. And then for him to keep the athleticism at 215 pounds, like that is smoking for a guy of that size. So uh, to put it in perspective, like that's like Cam Akers, territory last year in terms of like the athleticism that he exhibited. So uh, very interested in ETN now at this point. And I already had him uh, like I would go back and forth between ETN and Harris, but in my way too early rookie rankings, I had ETN number one and Harris number two. Uh, And I mean, I think this all the more puts ETN at number one because of the the size now. I, I no longer kind of have like the concern of him having the ability to be an NFL league back. If he's at 215 pounds, he can do it. Yeah, so some of the things that scouts are worried about, and I bring these up because I am expecting Harris to get selected earlier than ETN. Scouts are worried about his pass protection. Um, you know, has more of a finesse running style, struggles to mitigate lost yardage. Perhaps with the 215, teams won't be as concerned about that. You know, one of the other things to read is he has good burst. Back that up with the 40, creates unfavorable angles. I think it's worth pointing out, saw 61 targets, caught 48 as a senior. So I think the the ability as a receiver is there. Sixth in broken tackles among running backs in this class. Eight in yards after contact. But one, best player in yards per route run. So I think that he offsets some of the concerns you might have about him in different facets of his game by arguably being of the top backs that you would be looking at in this class, the best receiver. Um, So, you know, there are some people putting Javante Williams higher than ETN, but I can definitely understand from the fantasy perspective why for many people he's locked into that uh, first or second spot. For me, he's still second behind Najee Harris. So, uh, we have, yep, I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. Can we talk just a little bit about Javante Williams? I I know we've talked about him on previous shows, but I think it's worth thinking about him a little bit more. So what he has going for him is that he's going to be 21 years old um, and early declarant, and he has good size, you know, 5'10", 220 pounds. So, like, he has, you know, legit NFL lead back size. Um, I don't believe that he is as good of a receiver uh, as ETN or Harris. Yeah, I don't think so and, either. And that, so that combined with the fact that I expect him to be drafted after them, um, and the fact that he was, he was a lead back um, in two years, but he was also kind of always having to split work with Michael Carter. Um, you know, even this last year when he had, what is it like fourteen hundred and fifty yards or so from scrimmage? He was still outproduced in scrimmage yardage by Michael Carter. Now, like, I don't I don't think that's a massive knock against him because like Carter is a good player, but um, I don't know. I think his inability to separate uh, as the lead back is small cause for concern. So the fact that he's not as good of a receiver, going to be drafted later, and was never like really the clear lead back at UNC. Um, that gives me a little bit of pause. And like, that's why I have Etienne and Harris above him. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you can point to for Williams is he did lead the class in a lot of broken tackles metrics. He's obviously a very skilled player. I know the other thing that, um, 
will get brought up when you're looking at ETN versus Williams is that he uh, Williams is really good in pass protection, which makes him more of that solid three down, reliable type of player. But where I would rebut that is where at least you and I especially are looking at this from a fantasy perspective. And given that we believe ETN and I do as well as the better receiving back, we expect him to go earlier. Those are indicators for us that he's likely going to score more fantasy points because we've seen a number of players do perfectly fine as fantasy producers, even if they can't pass protect. If they come off of the field in those... So actually, this this is the thing, right? If you're a player that can pass protect and you're in on a third down, it's more likely that you are going to be pass protecting. If you're a guy that can't pass protect but is good as a receiver and you're in on third down, there's more of a chance that you are going to get the target and can score points. So that doesn't really concern me with ETN. Here's, I, I need to move Javante Williams up in my rankings, but the question for me is how far do I move him up? Because I do think that there's a pretty significant tier between Etienne and Harris and then Javante Williams. So Etienne and Harris, I think they for sure go in round one or round two. And I think they definitely go ahead of Javante Williams, who I think will go in either round two, but maybe round three. And so given that that's the draft range for Williams, I think it's hard for me to draft him ahead of a whole bunch of wide receivers who are going to go in round one and round two. You know what I mean? And so, like, I just need to think about where exactly I should put him if he's behind all of those wide receivers or if he's kind of in the middle of those wide receivers. And then also, like, Kyle Pitts. I think Pitts should be ahead of him. So even though, like, Williams, I think, is clearly a top three running back in this class – like that doesn't mean I think he should be going in the top half of round one. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. You know, and honestly, like if somebody asked me to give me or to give them my running back rankings, I don't even have it really committed that much to memory because I do think that there's such a large gap once you get past ETN and Harris in where I'm drafting these players because there's so many receivers that I like. You do have Kyle Pitts, as you mentioned. There's some intriguing quarterbacks that I just, you know, I'm not as enthused about these guys and I don't see myself taking that many of them. Um, but you know what? Maybe maybe next week we'll come back and we can talk through some more of these running backs because I do think that there are some interesting conversations to be had about how we fill in that list after Etienne Harris and Williams, what you do with Chuba Hubbard um, now that we've had some more time to chew on it. And, you know, we'll, we'll have some more information, too, as we start to see some more of these pro days rolling in. Now that you've had some more time to Chuba on it. <laughs> oh, wow. That is the perfect ending to today's show, Matt. Oh. I mean, I, I, felt, I felt you were going there. Yeah, no, you know, normally uh, I would have been thinking about it, but no, I did, I did not go there. So um, I appreciate that. But anyways, that does it for today's episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.